This is bigger than that one seat. This is about undermining the integrity of our elections. Oh, now they're worried about that. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. Better late than never. I got the feeling that something ain't right. No, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. I am. Yes, I'm stuck in the from Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast that's heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in L.A. Also in California, on KFOI in Red Bluff and Redding, KKRN in Round Mountain, and KGOE in Eureka. Up in Oregon on KYAQ on the Central Coast, on Queso in Cottage Grove, and on KEPW in Eugene, in Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU, Columbus, Ohio's WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP, Grand Rapids, Michigan's WPRR, oh, Michigan. In New Orleans and WHIV, Gallup, New Mexico's KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ, in Seattle on KODX, and in Minneapolis, St. Paul on AM 950 KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe every day for your listening convenience on the Internet Machine, on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR, Revolution 99, Workforce Rising, Deprogrammed Radio, and Detour Talk, Blanketing Planet Earth five days a week. I am Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, all-around swell fellow. Says me from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us today, joining me and Desi Doyen today, because Des, um, really you're the only thing that I I, I know what we're going to do later (laughs) in the show. At least I think I know what we're going to do later in the show with you and uh, a Green News report coming up later. Uh, Beyond that, I'm tossing everything out, throwing it all out, kind of making it up as I go. Radio without a net. Sounds awesome. Yes, that's what we do sometimes here. Today is one of those days with the various bits of uh, news coming in, particularly uh, regarding North Carolina and this amazinger and amazinger election fraud scandal going on in North Carolina. Let me say a Republican election fraud scandal going on in North Carolina. No, not a voter fraud scandal, an election fraud scandal. The voters have uh, so far, we have no evidence that the voters have done anything wrong. Leave them alone. Talking to you, corporate media who keep misreporting so much of this as voter fraud. No, the voters are doing just fine. As I said, leave them alone. So let's start here from the New Yorker today. The government of Iraq announced on Tuesday that it would seek to build an international coalition to establish democracy in the state of North Carolina. Speaking to reporters in Baghdad, the Iraqi president, Barham Saleh, said that Iraq had reached out to regional powers, including Canada and Mexico, to launch a military invasion of North Carolina's 9th Congressional District to, quote, protect the North Carolinians' right to self-determination. Okay. 
While many in the international community they note commended Sala's desire to bring democracy to North Carolina, some critics warn that the effort could wind up destabilizing other American states. If North Carolina gets democracy, it's only a matter of time before the people of Wisconsin, Georgia, and other failed <laughs> states demand it as well, said Muqtada al-Sadr, <laughs> the Iraqi politician and cleric, adding Iraq could find itself in a quagmire with no exit strategy. <laughs> Brushing aside such concerns, President Saleh said that his international coalition could send troops to North Carolina's 9th Congressional District as early as next week, predicting we will be greeted as liberators. <laughs> That's great. I should note that's fake news, actually. Uh, it does come from The New Yorker, but it comes from satirist Andy Barowitz. But uh, well done, Mr. Barowitz. Uh, that was sent to me today by our friend Jim Soper with the uh, California Election Protection Task Force, who, by the way, I should note, uh, Jim has been warning about absentee ballot fraud for years, as have I. Well, we have good reason to do that now uh, with what's going on in North Carolina. And we've got some news there uh, breaking uh, shortly before airtime today that I'll get to in a moment. But you know what I want to do, uh, uh, Des, since I'm throwing everything out? Okay. A prediction. I don't normally do, as you know, I don't normally do predictions on this show because really there's there's no good reason for it other than eh, it's kind of fun. And... Um, that's why they do it all the time, of course, on cable news. But you know what? It's been a rough week. So uh, what the hell? I will go on record knowing full well that I could be entirely wrong, that I probably will be entirely wrong. But let's find out if I am or not, because I've been thinking through this over the past, uh, I don't know, 12 hours or so. Uh, here's my prediction. The Republicans stolen U.S. House seat in North Carolina's 9th Congressional District, which is not yet stolen. It has yet to be certified by the state amidst this massive GOP absentee ballot election fraud investigation and scandal that we have been covering in great detail over the past week. That seat will be filled by a Republican, but not by Republican Mark Harris, who supposedly won the election on November 6 by 905 votes over the Democrat Dan McCready. So uh, the, the Charlotte Observer on Wednesday called for not only a new election, but a new primary. And this will explain my prediction in a second. They've called. They said we need to do a complete redo here, but we need to redo all the way back to the primary because that as well was tainted with this same absentee ballot fraud. They say we need to start the whole election over. They cite North Carolina's general statute, uh, Section 163A, 1180, which authorizes the State Board of Elections to intervene and, quote, take any other action necessary to assure that an election is determined without taint of fraud or corruption and without irregularities that may have changed the result of an election. Now, that has been what the Republicans here have been hanging their hat on, saying, well, even if there was fraud here, there wasn't enough fraud that it would have flipped the results of the election. And they're claiming that, you know, this is a Republican district. It has been the last Democrat in this district was elected in 1953 for the first time, left office in 1963. Since then, it has been consistently uh, Republican ever since. 
The uh, observer, however, notes that with this taint of fraud or corruption, the board, the state board, should call for a new general election. And then they add that the U.S. House can and should order a new primary. Given that results show Harris winning a startling, Mark Harris, the Republican, winning a startling 96 percent of the absentee vote in Bladen County in his narrow 2018 primary victory over then-incumbent Republican Robert Pittenger. So here's what I'm predicting. And because I'm predicting this, it's absolutely meaningless. (laughs) Uh, but uh, so not that this will happen, but because that I think that uh, we could see this happen uh, because both the general election and the primary are irreconcilably tainted at this point. I believe they will hold a new primary. They certainly should. I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt that they will and that uh, the incumbent Robert Pittenger will win. The Republican primary this time around because of the taint on Harris. Uh, And then Pittenger will go on to win in a new general election against the Democratic nominee, Dan McCready. So that's my that's my prediction that we will end up pretty much where we started here with the uh, Republican incumbent staying in office, holding his seat in this district which, as I say, has not had a Democrat representing them since 1963. Now, maybe the taint is so bad on the Republicans here that uh, they'll end up uh, getting this uh, Democrat Dan McCready in there. We'll see. But uh, the Charlotte Observer editorial board on Wednesday concluded its op-ed by saying voters in the 9th District deserve the confidence that their election was free from fraud. North Carolina statute supports it. The evidence already demands it. The Board of Elections should start the election over. What do you think? Am I right? A, will they start it over? B, am I right about Pittenger? B, I think you're right Get about you Pitt- on record as well. And then we can hold you accountable. <laughs> B, I think you're right that if it were to under unfold in that scenario, that yes, I think Pittenger probably would regain his old seat. But A, I don't think the GOP cares. I think they'll fight like hell to keep things as they are. So that to me, the A part of whether there would be a whole new primary and or a whole new general election. And I don't know chicken all right (laughs) i just don't see the republicans caring enough to actually allow it to happen well it may not be up to them uh because uh congress can say we will refuse to seat whoever the ninth district sends up here unless there is a new election from scratch congress has that uh has that ability in the uh, in the u.s house and they could just uh, simply keep that seat open for a very long time while they investigate this sure matter in but the you know i have noticed that lately the republicans are willing to do pretty much just about anything and uh we have not yet seen what they're willing to do uh, yeah I, I don't know That's what you're all. talking about <laughs> republicans are willing to do and as all of this is going down as multiple investigations are being carried out now in north carolina by the state board of elections by the Wake County prosecutor who has reportedly been investigating this absentee ballot fraud since January of this year by state officials and and perhaps even even by federal law enforcement who has purportedly been told about this. The U.S. attorney was said to have been told about this 
months ago, perhaps even years ago, because we first saw concerns about absentee ballot fraud in Bladen County back in 2016. In the meantime, the focus remains on uh, this uh, specifically on Bladen County and neighboring Robeson County, where there are enough votes. If it turns out that this guy, this Republican contractor, McCray Dallas, uh, was also pulling whatever scam he was pulling in neighboring Robeson County, while there are certainly clearly Enough absentee ballots in question in both Bladen and Robeson for uh, for the election results to be flipped. Remember, we're talking about a 905 vote margin in the general primary. Now, Dallas says he did nothing wrong, nothing unlawful, even though several women have now stepped forward to say that he paid them to collect absentee ballots from voters. That alone is unlawful in North Carolina. And that many of those ballots were not signed, the envelopes weren't sealed, and that instead of mailing them, these women then delivered them instead of, you know, they gave them to Dallas instead of mailing them in or delivering them directly to the county. They gave them to Dallas instead. What Dallas did with them at this point, nobody knows. At the same time, Republicans in the state legislature, as all of this is going on, they have rammed through a polling place photo ID voting restriction through a lame duck session in the state legislature before they lose their supermajority and their ability to override a veto from the now Democratic governor who took his seat back in 2016. Um, but the Republicans have lost their supermajority. Now, that restriction on voting at the polling place is similar to one that was struck down by a federal court in North Carolina, finding that that provision targeted African-Americans, quote, with nearly surgical precision. And it had no restrictions on absentee vote by mail ballots, which is where the fraud tends to happen, as we have been trying to explain for too many years now, as opposed to at the polling place. And by the way, I get in trouble from uh, Democrats and folks who love vote by mail when I point these things out. But it's true. If you're going to defraud an election, it's a hell of a lot easier to do it via absentee ballot than it is by sending you know, one guy in to a polling place and having him pretend to be someone else. But and, Donald Trump told me that folks go out to their car and put on wigs put on a hat and, and come hats back in. and different T-shirts. I don't recognize that guy at all. He's got a new hat. I've never seen him before. <laughs> and of course, they'd have to do this hundreds, if not thousands of times uh, at the polling place to flip an election. Um, in fact, when the Republicans in North Carolina back in 2013, when they originally passed that unconstitutional polling place photo ID restriction, at the same time, Republican lawmakers actually loosened restrictions on absentee vote by mail rules for some reason. I'm not suggesting they knew this was going on. Uh, it's just a convenient timing but it thing. Did, well, they made it easier, uh, actually, to commit the sort of fraud that we uh, that we saw. Now, on uh, Wednesday of this week, those Republicans in the uh, state legislature, they, in fact, did pass a new version of this bill that was previously found to be unconstitutional. 
And on the same day that they passed it, finally, on Wednesday, they added similar ID requirements for absentee ballots as well. At the last second, on the last day, when they finally passed this, uh, this measure. For some reason... After all of these years of claiming that there was a polling place in-person fraud going on, now they said, hmm, maybe we need to do something about absentee ballots. And today, according to The Washington Post, uh, Republicans, after initially demanding that Mark Harris be seated, he won, after all, by 905 votes, let the investigation go forward, but don't leave us unrepresented. Never mind the clear evidence of the GOP election fraud in the ninth district. Yet now the uh, Republicans are admitting, yeah, maybe uh, maybe we actually should have a new election after all. And they are pointing fingers at each other as to whether concerns about GOP absentee fraud were known back uh, way earlier after the primary in May of this year, certainly when, for example, incumbent Robert uh, Republican Robert Pittenger received just 17 absentee votes in Bladen County. The incumbent Republican back in the primary, while uh, his challenger, Mark Harris, received more than 400 votes. And in that primary, Harris ended up winning the district by just over 800 votes. So half of his uh, half of his margin came from those absentee uh, votes in Bladen County back in the primary. And yet the Republicans didn't find anything curious about. Well, that. Pittenger says that his campaign expressed concerns about the fraud, but that the uh, uh, the state Republicans and the National Republican Congressional Committee, they didn't want to talk about it. They just wanted to move on to the general election. According to uh, Washington Post, in the days immediately after the race, aides to Pittenger told the executive director of the North Carolina Republican Party and a regional director for the National Republican Congressional Campaign Committee, the NRCC, that they believed fraud had occurred. That, according to the Washington Post, who spoke with people familiar with the discussions, the GOP officials did little to scrutinize the results that had unseated one of their own, their uh, their incumbent, instead turning their attention to Harris's general election campaign against a well-funded Democratic opponent. That's Dan McCready. Their uh, accounts provide the first indication that state and national Republican officials received early warnings about irregularities in North Carolina's 9th Congressional District. A spokesman, however, for the NRCC denied that Pittenger's campaign raised the possibility of fraud in the primary. In an interview this week, uh, Dallas Woodhouse, who runs the North Carolina Republican Party, said he did not recall fielding complaints from Pittenger or his aides of possible fraud after the primary, but he then called the Washington Post back just a few minutes later and said, well, he did remember hearing of anomalies. <laughs> okay. And he took a cursory look at the end of that race at the vote totals. He said if somebody said something about the absentee ballots, it is just very possible that it didn't register with us. We had a lot of campaigns, a lot of people expressing concerns. It sounds like so he found something in his files on in writing that shows that he knew. Some That's email, my guess. Yeah, yeah, some email that all of these investigations oh, yeah, are likely to find. 
this week, I'll note that the elections board has issued subpoenas to the Harris campaign, to its general consultant, this group named Red Dome, as well to the local sheriff, a guy by the name of uh, Jim McVicker, uh, who is also a Republican. He won re-election last month, and he also gave thousands of dollars to hire Dallas to run his absentee uh, ballot campaign as well. So um, <laughs> this just uh, gets, as I said, amazinger and amazinger. But I think it's uh, pretty clear right now what actually went on. The only question is what is going to be done about it. The um, a person uh, familiar with the uh, thinking of Pittenger's campaign after the primary who spoke to the Post on condition of anonymity said, uh, quote, in order to beat Democrat Dan McCready, as a strong as strong a candidate as McCready was, the general election campaign needed to start right away. There wasn't time to go into a recount and use financial resources. All the campaigns were financially strapped. The only way to beat McCready was to put our weapons down within the party. Robert Pittenger, uh, this source says, being a good Republican, agreed that if he continued to try to raise an issue with this, it would only hurt the Republicans' ability to win in the fall. So they knew they knew there was fraud going on. They had concerns about it. Robert Pittenger uh, either said something about it or didn't, quote, being a good Republican, said, we'll just let this election fraud go on. Even though for years we have been complaining about massive fraud all over the place, we've been restricting voters from being able to cast their vote at all. Largely Democratic-leaning voters, minorities, students, and so forth under the guise of fraud. And yet when they saw it under their very nose, they didn't want to do a damn thing about it because, hey, we got an election to win. We got a general election. Otherwise, the Democrats are going to take this seat. We'd rather allow this fraud to go on. Who cares what the voters want? Now that is coming back to haunt them, I would say. Nancy Pelosi um, today was asked about uh, this. I'm not sure where this. Did you know uh, this, this was is at from? the uh, the regular weekly Democratic House press conference. She was asked about what they're going to do here. And, uh, well, here's her response about what happened in North Carolina. This is bigger than that one seat. This is about undermining the integrity of our elections. And what was done there is so remarkable. And that that person, those entities got away with that, even to the detriment of the Republicans in the primary. Right. (laughs) <laughs> to the de- even though the Republicans were hurt by this, they didn't care. Finally, today, Dan McCready, the Democrat here, who had conceded for some reason back in uh, in November from after the November six midterm, he conceded when he was only down by seven hundred votes. Why did he concede? I don't know. Um, but today. What took him so long here? Uh, He finally unconceded the North Carolina U.S. House District uh, 9 race in North Carolina. Over the last week, we have seen the criminal activity come to light. uh, And we have seen that my opponent, Mark Harris, has bankrolled this criminal activity. Uh, And so as of today, I am withdrawing my concession to Mark Harris. And furthermore, I call on Mark Harris 
to tell the American people exactly what he knew and when he knew it. That was Dan McCready, the Democratic candidate for the U.S. House in North Carolina's 9th Congressional District, unconceding, joining the club of Democrats who have been unconceding races uh, uh, this year. Uh, he's added, I guess, to Andrew Gillum down in, in Florida, the Democrat yeah. down there for who ran for governor, who had conceded Very on quickly. election night before the media even called the race. I don't get it. I have for years been saying, Democrats, stop conceding. And by the way, Republicans, stop conceding. Wait until the votes are counted. So anyway, yeah, there's going to be much more on all of this in the days ahead. I am quite certain of that. The state board of elections uh, will hold their hearing on the evidence in this matter, they say, by December 21. So it could be earlier. It could be earlier. Right. And uh, then they'll have to decide whether they're going to call another election or not. Or they could still certify Harris and let the U.S. House sort it all out. Let the Democratic majority, the new Democratic majority in the U.S. House sort it all out. I think we will be seeing many, many more calls for a new election, including a new primary uh, in the days ahead. All right. One more story before we get to our break here that's related to all of this. I had hoped to get to it yesterday, ran out of time Two Suffolk County, New York election workers and local independents and Republican Party leaders were charged with forging signatures on nominating petitions in an attempt to boost the chances of GOP candidates. That, according to uh, a report yesterday from Newsday, election workers William Mann and Gregory Dixon, along with Independence Party leader Patricia Mansier and Republican Party leader Amos Goodman, allegedly wrote false names, some belonging to dead people, on Green Party, independents, and Republican nominating petitions in order to try to increase the chances for the GOP candidates in these various races. So the Green Party, the Independence Party, and the Republican Party, all apparently committing, yes, election fraud, election ballot signature fraud. All four have uh, pleaded not guilty. In a bizarre twist, as reported by the Southampton Press, Goodman accused the Independence Party. Goodman is the uh, Republican Party leader. Uh, she accused the, um, I'm sorry, he, Amos Goodman, accused the Independence Party uh, of forging signatures last summer, the same crime that he now seems to have committed. Now, if we go back to North Carolina, back in 2016, the Republican governor at the time, uh, uh, Pat McCrory, had claimed that Democrats were committing absentee ballot fraud in North Carolina. And they they held hearings on this. This was after it looked like he had lost to the uh, Democrat Roy Cooper back in 2016. They held hearings on this. They claimed that Democrats were doing this. And they had a guy by the name of McRae Dowless show up and give testimony on all of this. Back in way back in 2016, claiming that there was absentee ballot fraud in Bladen County. But when he came forward and testified, in fact, he admitted to uh, essentially committing absentee ballot fraud himself. And we're seeing something similar here where they're uh, they had accused the Independence Party of forging signatures and then 
The Republican Party, in fact, did it themselves, it seems. Um, man, what a mess. Uh, District Attorney uh, Tom uh, Sinney said that none of the candidates for whom the accused forged signatures actually ended up winning their races in these cases. But petition signature fraud also appears has, again, it's the Republicans doing this all the time. Democrats, yes, do it from time to time, but it's Republicans who are claiming it's being done by others while they're doing it themselves, including, as we reported way back uh, during his run for president back in uh, 2012, Newt Gingrich's campaign ended up forging thousands of signatures to get him on the ballot in one of the states. Uh, I believe also Rick Santorum's campaign was accused that same year. Pretty much the entire staff of Republican U.S. Congressman Thaddeus McCotter uh, was also found guilty of dozens of felony petition fraud crimes to get him on the ballot up in Michigan. He had to drop out of his reelection contest because of it. And yet Republicans continue to pretend there is Democratic so-called voter fraud going on at the polls. Requiring restrictions on thousands of uh, perfectly legal voters to keep them from voting. Well, yes. So, you know, because they obviously, as we've talked about for so many years, that they don't want people to vote. They'll do whatever they have to do. They'll say whatever they have to say to keep people from voting. As I noted on yesterday's program, it's starting to look like we have a a Republican Party uh, beginning its political death throes. And uh, we talked about uh, just what they were willing to do in Wisconsin uh, in this lame duck session before their uh, Republican governor and Republican attorney general are uh, run out of town and replaced by the incoming Democrats. And uh, hey, since I mentioned them and Michigan here, let's take a quick break and come back and talk about just what it is they are still doing and it's worse than uh, we even described yesterday in wisconsin and in michigan those stories and much more are next on the broadcast i'm brad friedman hey this is brad do you enjoy your non-corporatized commercial free broadcast yeah me too but we need your help to stay that way Please consider supporting the investigative blogging, broadcasting, and muckraking that we do here on the Bradcast and the Green News Report and bradblog.com with a donation. It's easy. Stop by bradblog.com slash donate and drop a few dollars in the tip jar. You can make a one-time contribution or an automatic monthly donation of any amount you like. It's easy. It'll take you about 60 seconds, and you'll help me and Desi stay on the air to continue our troublemaking and muckraking without the corporate influence of anyone. Got it? Thanks. Stop by bradblog.com slash donate to help us out today. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Amanda Turkel over at HuffPost is reporting that the GOP-controlled legislature in Wisconsin has been working with outgoing Republican Governor Scott Walker to make sure that the incoming governor and attorney general, 
who are both Democrats, will not have as much power as their Republican predecessors. As we have been reporting here over the uh, past couple of days, the uh, GOP legislature has uh, passed a series of bills in a lame duck session that amount to nothing less, as Turkle writes, than a brazen partisan power grab, which is an accurate description here, unprecedented, in fact, taking responsibilities away from the incoming Democratic governor and attorney general and giving them to the heavily gerrymandered Wisconsin legislature instead. And Walker has said that he would sign whatever it is that the heavily gerrymandered uh, Wisconsin legislature ends up sending him before he hits the road. This week, however, uh, this has gotten less attention and they passed this on, uh, what was it, Wednesday? I guess they stayed up all night. And yeah, they passed it at dawn, dawn the next yeah. morning. Uh, getting much less attention, the legislature also approved 82 Walker appointees to serve across the state government. 82 confirmations in one single day in the legislature. Uh, This just weeks before a new governor from a different political party is set to take office. Talk about brazen, huh? 82. The appointees include uh, two members of the board that oversees the state's public universities. One of those positions has been vacant for more than a year, but they suddenly had to do it in this emergency session that they called. Uh, Walker just nominated his choice this week for that position. He also made one of his own top aides, who is currently the Department of Administration secretary, into the new head of the State Public Service Commission. In a letter to Walker on Tuesday, the incoming governor, Democrat Tony Evers, asked the governor to withdraw the names that he had submitted to the state Senate for approval. Evers wrote, these appointments should be fully vetted in the next legislative biennium. Which, by the word, by the way, is a word I don't think I have ever heard. <laughs> biennium. Uh, so it should be fully vet these appointments in the next two years, I think is what he's trying to say. Uh, many of them have had uh, no public hearing, he notes, none at all. Some have not even filed a statement of economic interest, Evers notes. Given the rush timing and the fact that many of these appointments have gone unfilled for extended periods of time, I must request that you withdraw this slate of names to allow ample time for full review, not only for the state Senate, but for the people of Wisconsin, too. These people have had, many of them, no public hearing whatsoever. Evers spokesperson Carrie Lynch told the Wisconsin State Journal that more than 30 of the nominees have had no public hearing whatsoever and they were simply approved. <laughs> I mean, well, this is how much the Wisconsin GOP loves their voters. It's a huge F yep. you to them. Yeah, it is. I mean, and I've been trying to get a point. I mean, I think this has been sort of GOP uh, corruption week. On Week. Bradcast. Well, particular. Yeah, I know. It's every day uh, for years, but particularly this week, as it's as we are seeing, particularly egregious this week. It's 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 unfolding. I think, and I'm fan. I think it's great. It's unfolding on a national stage. I wish we would have more people, more of the corporate media, paying attention to it. Well, it's un- and it's un- because it's unfolding as they have lost all of these elections, and as they are desperate to 
hang on to power. And this is this is new. This is a new thing. North Carolina was really the first to do this back in 2016. I mean, Wisconsin was the first to come in and play the type of hardball politics we saw when Scott Walker came in and and uh, uh, passed this, introduced this, suddenly introduced this bill to uh, kill public, uh, public sector union. union rights, yeah. um, despite not having run on that at all. It didn't even come up in his campaign back in 2010 when he first became governor. And then, you know, days after he takes office, they come out with this bill to do this. They were the first uh, and they rammed it through. Democrats left the state in order to try to prevent them from having a quorum. I mean, it was a huge battle, a huge power play that we had not seen before. Um, So and at the time, I remember reporting it as, you know what? This is all being funded by the Koch brothers who put huge money into the state of Wisconsin. And this is a Petri dish. Wisconsin is a Petri dish for what Republicans hope to do when they take full control in other states. And we have seen them do exactly that in Michigan when uh, Governor Rick Snyder, the Republican, came in and and basically you know, fired all of the, uh, the the heads of all of these various towns, cities around the state, and put in emergency managers that he selected, and basically gutted democracy in Michigan. We saw it in North Carolina, but uh, so it started sort of started in Wisconsin, and uh, but then it was Wisconsin, uh, North Carolina that began unraveling first. And so in 2016, where we saw a Democrat come to power as governor, that's when we saw, I guess, uh, stage two or the uh, end stages of this scheme where they start changing the way politics have worked for decades, hundreds of years. Yeah, in these the institutional states. structures that, that run yep. these states, they've started really undermining the foundations of those, and it's starting to fall apart. They did that in North Carolina. Now they're doing it in Wisconsin and in Michigan. I'll get to that in, in one moment. Uh, also in Ohio. But Scott Walker, uh, as uh, Amanda reports over at HuffPost, uh, Scott Walker no doubt knows what he did is not a good look jamming through these 82 last-minute appointees. In 2010, when Walker was coming to power, he urged the outgoing Democratic governor at the time, Jim Doyle, not to, quote, finalize any permanent civil service personnel during his last two months in office. He wrote at the time, in the past, it's been common practice for political appointees to use this time to, quote, bump down into permanent civil service positions. I believe these appointees should be required to go through the same application process as any other civil servants, and my administration will review any new permanent hires during the next two months so they can be considered for termination during the probationary period. This was the warning letter he had sent to the Democratic governor saying, don't suddenly appoint people at the last minute. Uh, Well, now Walker is doing exactly that. Uh, He also recently gave the outgoing attorney general in Wisconsin a seat on a uh, on a court in Waukesha County, a position that does not require uh, state Senate approval. Mike Brown, the deputy director of the progressive advocacy group One Wisconsin Now, 
said that Wisconsin Republicans' intent on invalidating the results of the 2018 election and undermining the orderly transfer of power rushed through a slate of political appointees to reward cronies with jobs and to stop our incoming governor from being able to put his team in place, like Scott Walker was able to do. That's Wisconsin, but uh, Michigan... uh, They've 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 got another trick up their sleeves. What they did here, um, the Republican led AP is reporting this today. The Republican led Michigan legislature this week passed bills that would delay a minimum wage hike and scale back paid sick leave requirements, an unprecedented lame duck strategy that was endorsed legally by the state's right-wing conservative attorney general, despite criticism that it is, in fact, unconstitutional in the state. Here's the way this scam worked. The laws that they just passed are basically changing laws that they just passed months ago. The fast-tracked legislation uh, this week, which drew protesters to the Capitol who chanted shame and bought and paid for outside the chambers, This was pushed through both chambers on largely party lines. Outgoing Republican Governor Rick Snyder, uh, who has stayed mum on whether he will sign the measure, says AP, but the Senate leader was confident that he would sign this on his way out the door, saying that Snyder told him he would do so. So to prevent minimum wage and paid uh, paid sick time ballot initiatives from going before the electorate last month in November, because the Republicans knew they were going to lose these things. To prevent that from happening, to keep the voters from being able to vote on this, the Republican lawmakers, at the behest of business groups, preemptively approved those measures back in September in order to be able to alter them after the election with a simple majority vote in each chamber. So these were were heading to the ballot, the voters were going to vote on them. The Republicans said, oh, no, don't worry about it. We'll take care we'll of it. We'll take care of it. We'll put those, we'll adopt those as law so you don't have to vote on it at all. And then they reneged on it afterwards. Well, they allowed it to become law before they knew that in the lame duck session, if need be, they could just come in and change those laws, gut those provisions. One bill that was uh, passed this week would gradually increase the state's $9.25 minimum wage to um, a little more than $12 by 2030. That instead of $12 by 2022, which had been called for in these initiatives. So they're adding another eight years. Hey, Michiganders, by 2030, your minimum wage will be $12 an hour. Now, had they passed that, had that uh, stayed on the ballot and they passed it, it would have had to go through $12 by 2022. But instead, you get to wait another eight years. Um, The measure would also repeal provisions to tie future increases to inflation. So it was going to change to $12 and thereafter would be tied to inflation to keep up with inflation. Makes sense. The Republicans gutted it. Another bill would exempt employers with fewer than 50 employees from having to provide any paid sick time as required under the existing law that is otherwise scheduled to take effect in March. 
existing law being the one that the GOPers just put through in order to now change it just weeks later. About 162,000 small businesses that collectively employ one million workers would now be exempt from awarding paid sick leave under this new legislation. Democratic um, Rep. Darren Camilleri, uh, who voted against the measures, said that gutting the minimum wage hike, quote, would not only hurt thousands of workers in Michigan, but would also betray the trust of millions more ignoring the will of the people. Do you think they care about that? In a legal opinion dated uh, Monday and released on Tuesday, the Republican Attorney General Bill Schutte told legislators that although the state constitution requires three-fourths votes in both chambers to change voter-approved laws, it imposes no express limitations on amending citizen-initiated laws that were passed by the legislature. Wow. So I'm not sure how he does that uh, constitutional dance. Uh, That opinion apparently differs from one uh, back issued in 1964 by a Democratic attorney general at the time who said that changes cannot be made in the same session. After they have approved the laws, they can't go ahead and change them in the same session. Now, uh, Schutte had uh, run for governor this year but lost. He's the Republican who lost to Democrat uh, Gretchen Whitmer. In the governor's race, a a spokesman for the House Minority Leader, uh, Sam Singh, said just like his friends in the legislature, the attorney general seems intent on using his last weeks in office to turn this lame duck session into nothing more than a GOP smash and grab before Democrats take office in January. Smash and grab. That is exactly what it is. And I am so glad that the folks of Michigan got a chance to not vote for Bill Schuette because he has now exposed himself for who he is. If Snyder assigns the bill, as is thought to be likely, uh, the paid sick leave advocates uh, have already vowed to launch a 2020 ballot drive. If the legislature successfully guts the law that made Michigan the 11th state to require employees to provide paid time off to workers who are sick or who have ill family members, Republican Rep. Mary Whitford Whiteford uh, said the law, if not revised, if they don't revise it, it will force small businesses to cut staff and reduce workers. Sound familiar? This is exactly what we hear all the time before these measures are passed, and it never proves to be true. Whiteford said the original uh, proposal threatens people's livelihoods, undermines the positive strides that we have made to improve Michigan's economy. We must fix it now before Michigan families and job providers begin to experience its negative effects. Democratic Rep. Stephanie Chang of Detroit accused the opponents uh, here of using false rhetoric, irresponsible fear-mongering. She says that allowing workers to stay home or visit the doctor keeps in check higher medical costs if they do not get care, adding that people uh, use the benefit responsibly and states with sick time mandates have not, in fact, suffered economically. Oh, you and your facts. You and your empirical evidence. Chang said that when the people of our state signed on to support these policies, they did not intend for this body to usurp the process, only to strip workers of these new freedoms 
that they had just been handed. What a scam. Another one, another GOP smash and grab, this time in in uh, in Michigan. <laughs> Amazing. All right, uh, quick break, and we're back with some, uh, some more important news from Desi Doyen. <laughs> in our latest Green News report, you got good news for us in that report coming up, right? It's, it's a mixed bag of good news and bad news. Yeah, that's a nice way to put it. Mm-hmm. That's straight ahead on the Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't touch that dial. What the public hears on the public airwaves matters. At the Bradcast, we do our best to bring you accurate news and analysis on the issues that actually matter. And we do it all independently, without corporate or political influence. But we can't do it without you, now more than ever. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to bradblog.com donate to help keep us going. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Well, with all this disturbing news several times a week, we can always rely on Desi Doyen <laughs> to come in with some uh, good news in her Green News Report. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. All right, Des, I know you got a lot of uh, fantastic stuff here for us. Not so fantastic, maybe, after all, unfortunately. We'll, well find we'll out see. in our latest Green News Report. We are in trouble. Bad news. Global carbon emissions on the rise again. This movement has really become about something much bigger than just a protest over fuel prices. France suspends fuel tax hikes after violent protests. Greenland's ice melt has gone into overdrive, new study says. Plus... As a business leader, but in fact also as a human being... It's vital that we find solutions for this uh, for this problem. World's largest shipping company targets 100% zero emissions by 2050. All of that bad news and a little bit of good news straight ahead. From bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. We are still not doing enough, nor moving fast enough, to prevent irreversible and catastrophic climate disruption. Thanks, Chuckles. This is your Green News Report. Okay, Desi Doyen, uh, should we start with the good or the bad news today? Oh, we got both, so let's start with the bad news. As world leaders at the United Nations Climate Talks in Poland try to hammer out a rule book for countries to cut the greenhouse gas emissions that cause dangerous man-made climate change, global carbon emissions are now rising again. Great. While it had appeared that maybe the world had turned a corner with emissions mostly flat from 2014 to 2016, in 2017 they started growing again, led by China, India, and the U.S. Hmm, what happened in 2017 in the U.S.? But Europe's emissions fell. Emissions have reached a new record high in 2018, according to the Global Carbon Project this week. And worse, the researcher said, global emissions in 2018 are rising at a faster rate than in previous years. Mm -hmm. They compared it to, quote, a speeding freight train with no signs of slowing down. That's not good news indeed. I hope things get better as we move forward here. Not yet. Still more bad news. 
The report highlights the chasm between international pledges to combat climate change versus what countries are actually doing. At U.N. Climate Talks this week, United Nations Secretary General Antonio Guterres warned that climate change is already wreaking havoc around the world and is already moving faster than we are, and all nations must do more. We are in trouble. We are in deep trouble with climate change. It is hard to overstate the urgency of our situation. We are still not doing enough, nor moving fast enough, to prevent irreversible and catastrophic climate disruption. Nor are we doing enough to capitalize on the enormous social, economic and then environmental opportunities of climate action. As if to underscore that urgency, a new study finds that Greenland is melting faster than ever before, and it's now off the charts. Using ice core data going back 350 years, researchers in the journal Nature this week say that melting of Greenland's ice sheet has, quote, gone into overdrive in just the last 20 years, and worse, that the rate of Greenland's ice melt continues to accelerate. I'm trying not to hate you right now, Desi Doyen. Well, still more bad news. In France, President Emmanuel Macron has temporarily suspended a planned tax hike on diesel fuel, part of a transition to clean energy, after three weeks of violent yellow vest demonstrations. While initially triggered by the fuel tax hike, the protests ballooned amid rising anger over economic inequality and stagnating wages. Now on to the good news. Finally! In Colorado, Excel Energy this week became the first major U.S. electric utility to pledge to eliminate its carbon emissions entirely. Excel will reduce emissions 80% by 2030 in the eight states where it operates and will transition to 100% zero carbon energy by 2050, a move that analysts labeled a game changer for the utility industry. We could use a game changer. Finally, Maersk, the world's largest container shipping company also pledged to cut its carbon emissions to zero by 2050 to combat climate change. Chief Operating Officer Soren Toft told the Financial Times, quote, we will have to abandon fossil fuels and find a different way to power our assets. In an interview with CNN, Toft said Maersk will have to innovate their entire supply chain, which will take time and ingenuity. We will need to find new technologies, new innovative ways of basically providing the the future efficient ships. Uh, These ships are not available today, and that's why we are reaching out, not only announcing this goal, but also saying that this is a call for action. It's a call for action for all constituents in the supply chain to collaborate and to work together. So he's basically calling for electric ships? Yes, not only calling for it, they're going to make it happen. Well, that's good news. If it happens, for much more on all of these stories, good news and bad, check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. Don't forget you can download our reports anytime via Stitcher, TuneIn, iTunes, or Google Play. Find, follow, and share us planet-wide on the Facebooks and the Twitters at Green News Report. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. And this has been your Green News Report. Yeah, we're really going to create all of these hundreds, thousands of ocean liners. Maersk is going to do this that are able to run without 
Fossil fuels? Really? That's, that's the idea that they're working toward, and there's all kinds of things that they can do. In fact, there are some shipping companies that are already using sails, like the old school the old school ships that used to sail across the ocean. Pirate ships? We're going to be sending big pirate ships across the ocean with tons of cars? Except really? they don't look like that, no. They don't look like that? No, but there are some that exist as is that are used? This uh, Ships that large? Yes, there's actually a container ship, but they're they're not like the old sails that we remember from, you know, the movies, the old tall ships with the giant sails. These are towers. Arr, arr. <laughs> there are towers that operate in the same fashion. So it's really fascinating. Lots of interesting stuff. It's at the post for this t- today's Green News Report at bradblog.com. So I picture these great big uh, boats with sails and solar panels all over them running on uh, electricity using wind power and solar power and uh, electric power to get across. I'm paging Elon Musk mm. at this point. He's kind of busy, but uh, boy. I'm sure I, he can handle it. I bet he'd love, well, he, he, yeah, he, he has uh, got folks to, well, planning to get folks to Mars. So I guess he can figure out how to get a boat between here and uh, Japan without using fossil fuels. Yeah. Right, Elon? We shall see. All right. Thank you very much, Desi Doyen. Uh, Now I'm going to have the love boat in my head over the next few days, no doubt. Uh, My thanks to Desi, our producer, and to to my guest today, who I actually canceled and rescheduled, hopefully, for next week because we had so much news we had to get in. So I'm not going to tell you who it was. But they're going to be fantastic when we get them uh, shortly. Angie Coiro is in for us tomorrow. I will be back. We will be back with you thereafter. Until then, if you missed any portion of today's show or any other, download it anytime for free at bradblog.com. Drop me an email if you like. I am bradcast at bradblog.com. On the Facebooks and the Twitters, I am simply the Bradblog. And my thanks to those who stopped by bradblog.com slash donate to help us out here, help Desi and I continue to cover all the stuff that we try to cover over your public airwaves. Uh, please consider stopping by before the end of the year at bradblog.com slash donate. Is that it? That's it. That's it. Until we meet again, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. Love. Exciting and new Come aboard We're expecting you And love Life's sweetest reward Let it flow It floats back to you